This podcast is part of the No Phony Podcast Network. Was the 1980s the best decade for Eddie Murphy? I'd bet the Dukes a dollar it was. Once again, it's time for the Idiots. An objective defense of the 80s. From a couple of idiots. Welcome back to another episode of The Idiots, an objective defense of 1980s pop culture from a couple of idiots. My name is Will, and joining me as always is my friend and co-host, Ray. How are you doing, Ray? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing today? I'm feeling so much better than I did just like 30 seconds ago. That's awesome. It's all this idiots pumping through me. Yeah, that song get you. If that song don't get you jacked up, I don't know what does. You're dead inside. Yeah. Or from a terrible other decade. Hmm, that could be. Maybe they just don't understand. Yeah. The other decades that that's a pump up jam. And anybody who's listening who now we may have insulted is probably switching to something else. Yeah. That's okay. In any case, hey, you probably heard at the top of the show that we are now part of the No Phony Podcast Network. And you can visit their website, nophonynetwork.com, for other shows that are just like us, which are what? How do they characterize our they shows? They are the home of independent awesomeness. There you go. So for other shows that are also independently awesome, just like ours, check out nophonynetwork.com. And a little bit later, we're going to be talking about one of our favorite actors slash comedians slash everything else that's great about the 80s, Eddie Murphy. But before that, let's catch up on 80s news. Man, that's like a tight ship right there. <laughs> For those at home who don't know, we just tried to start that show. Like, this is our fourth time. Yeah, we, we both were like um, just struggling through that oh first goodness. part. Jeez, it was awesome. Was combination of technical and just emotional difficulties. Uh, in any case, so what's new in 80s news since we last spoke? So if you haven't heard, in Variety Magazine, Norman Lear, who was the uh, producer, creator of many uh, wonderful sitcom from our childhood and before our childhoods, uh, he was also the producer of The Princess Bride, directed by one of his uh, longtime collaborators or one of his early collaborators, Rob Reiner, who was one of the stars of All in the Family, which Norman uh, produced and wrote. And in any case, in this article, he said that, quote, very famous people, whose names I won't use, uh, approach him, now I'm paraphrasing, to redo The Princess Bride. What are your thoughts about redoing The Princess Bride? Absolutely unnecessary, just like Carrie Elway's said. Ooh, not Carrie Bowles. Uh, you, you caught on there, oh, didn't you? Carrie Bowl. No, yeah, good. Yeah. Did you practice that in the mirror? I did not you? have to because I just figured it out finally. Oh, okay. It just, it makes sense now. And since he said something super smart like that, like, leave Princess Bride alone. It's perfect the way it yeah. is. I learned his name. Yeah. Well, there you go. He's earned your respect. But yes, you're right. He, he, paraphrasing one of the movie's famous lines, he said, quote, there's a shortage of perfect movies in this world. It would be a pity to damage this one, end quote. And in the movie, he was referring to something else. What was he referring to, Will? Boobies. <laughs> Why am I the one who's always... Uh, now I feel like you're tricking me into saying boobies. I don't have to trick you into saying it. You are always, <laughs> you're always worried about what I'm going to say yeah. on this side of the table, but you're the one with the I potty mouth. <laughs> you're the one that had to get his no. F-bomb edited no. out. Not me. Oh, that's true. Hmm. And you thought for sure yeah. I was going to be the first one to drop one. Yes, yes. I'm reminded in the first episode, I think I had to edit out like three or four instances <laughs> of me saying boobies just to get it under seven because I felt like anybody who's just finding the show for the first time, you know, what is this about? This isn't high school kids. This is two middle-aged men. Yes, but this is about the 80s. Yes. So that's all they need to know. Yeah. Okay. 
It's right there. It's a TV, and it says 80. It's when you look at the logo. So so good. I agree with you 100%. I think anybody who's probably uh, interested, who loves the 80s as much as we do would agree, you don't need to touch The Princess Bride. It's good. It's a wonder why they ever redo anything, really, that's good. You know, remake something that's terrible and make it better, fine. But so many of the things we love in the 80s were awesome. Don't mess with them. Well, like I always say, get off your lazy ass and go write something new. Right. Because people will love you if you come up with something that's brand new and exciting. And so, uh, just as a side note, uh, we talked about this. I I didn't mention it last week on our theater episode, but I mentioned it weeks ago when we were talking about other 80s news, including um, when we were talking about the Tony Awards, that a Princess Bride musical is, however, in the works it's been a long time coming. I'm not sure that we have a release date yet for it. It may be a little bit uh, far from that, but it still seems like that's coming. So among another 80s property that's becoming a, a stage uh, musical, there you go, Princess Bride. Well, well, we'll hold judgment until we see it. But then, like always, the gloves are off. And if it's bad, we're going to tell you. Yeah. Okay. So in other <laughs> 80s news, yes, you'll hear it here. Uh, in other 80s news, I don't know if you've heard of this one, that the uh, writer... Gary Witta, who also co-developed the story for Rogue One, he was also working with the, see, maybe he was the original, let's see, I think he was one, yes, he was a writer and creator of The Last Starfighter, and made it clear on Twitter, um, this was just, um, I think, a few weeks ago, well, it was in July, actually, I guess I'm catching up on this one, that he said he can finally, you know, say the words out, he is working on a sequel to The Last Starfighter. And that's the way you do it. Sequels. Right. Not reboots. And he's, um, he's already shared on Twitter to some images of some concept art for the, for the uh, movie sequel. We don't know what it's about, but um, the images include the, the ship that he flew. You know, we did the Death Blossom in. Yeah. And some other space images which suggest that this one he seems to be at least in part set in, in outer space. I wonder what he's thinking he's going to name it, since it was called The oh. Last Starfighter. Mm. Would it be like The Next Last Starfighter? or <laughs> The Next to Last Starfighter? The, the Laster Starfighter? The, the Most Last Starfighter. Uh, yeah. The Last First Starfighter? I don't know, but I'm sure it'll be good. Well, you know, some people say that they wonder why The Last Jedi was called The Last Jedi. If it seems like Rey, for example, has powers, is it because that she's the last Jedi, or Luke was the last Jedi, or Princess Leia is still alive, General Leia is alive in the films, she's the last Jedi, or it's the last Jedi because Rey is going to be called something else. She's like a Jedi, but they're not going to call them Jedi anymore. Now they're going to be called Skywalkers. That was one theory. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that stuff because (laughs) they've upset me greatly with this, and I'm I'm hoping this next one is awesome and fixes everything, and I can walk out of the theater going... I'm so glad that this ended the way it did, as opposed to, like, just being angry. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm very angry with Star Wars right wow. now. Wow. Just I'm, angry. I'm sorry. And you know, this is, they say this is the last one in the nine films, so this is their last chance to wrap yeah. it up. Yeah, this is their last chance to fix it, so, yeah, we'll see. Well, maybe last Starfighter, the idea is that they don't need Starfighters anymore, because now there's peace, so then they don't need them, but then... Something happens with the Kodan, Kodan Armada or what Kodan if Armada? What if it's like Friday the 13th when they did yeah. the final chapter uh-huh. and then they did the new beginning? Oh, So okay. they do the last Starfighter, mm-hmm. but then they do the new Starfighter. Oh, yeah, the new Starfighter. Okay. Because now they need him again. Yes. And it's been um, how many years? 20, 30 years. I don't remember when Starfighter came out, but that was... Mid-80s, probably. Uh, so you're looking at 30 yeah, years. 83, 84, maybe. So... Now, do you want to see Alex Rogan back? Yes. You got to, right? I want to see him as the mentor 
of some hip hop kid who's doing video games now. Hmm. Oh yeah. So you're right. Uh, so I wonder if they're going to continue that idea that people get drafted, gamers get drafted out of the out of the Earth, yes. off of Earth, and other star systems. If they're going to do this thing, there's no way they cannot put the video game back down there and do the whole Alex comes down and finds the kid at the trailer park thing. You have to. But you don't, it wouldn't be an arcade game though, right? It's got to be like a PlayStation or a VR, uh, like PS4 VR or, or Xbox a, or... Or a, one of those downloadable games on your phone. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> if that's what it is, I am definitely not interested. If you're great at Sugar Crush or Candy Land or whatever those games uh, are... All, all right. All I'm going to say is, is some kids got to find an old arcade game covered in dust. Okay. Now I'm with you. At, at the trailer park. Flickers on. It flickers back on. Right. And he's just awesome at this game. And then Alex shows up mm. and takes him away. That has got See, to be it. If they don't do it like that, they failed. Because it took me like three seconds to come up with that. Yeah. That's, yes. Never mind. There is another movie like that, right? Where there's something that's dormant and then it comes wasn't, sort of. Wasn't the remake of Tron like that kind of? Mm, I where they went back to the old arcade and Flynn's arcade. Um, maybe, honestly, I've blocked that movie out. I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched enough to know I wasn't going to like it and then stopped watching it and then erased it. Kind of like with, what I did with Matrix 2 and 3. It's not a great movie, but at least they made at it. At least it's Tron. They tried. Yeah. But your idea is really cool. I like that. So if they yes. avoid apps, even PlayStation, you know, uh-huh. I, I like my new games, but that's much cooler. Yep. An old arcade game. Yeah. Thanks. And let's see. So that's that. And then the next bit of 80s news, actually the next two bits of 80s news I want to talk to you lead into what we wanted to talk to you about today. So um, two bits of news. One, did you see that there is a rumor, TMZ broke this rumor um, just a short time ago, and then Eddie Murphy confirmed it more or less, uh, maybe not directly in his appearance in Jerry Seinfeld's Comedians in Cars and Coffee, that Eddie Murphy, it seems, is going to be doing another stand-up special very soon. I've heard rumors about this, yes. So TMZ said that he was negotiating a $70 million deal with Netflix to do a stand-up special. And then when he was on Seinfeld, Seinfeld asked him if he's ever going to do stand-up again. And he said, it's inevitable. I think it is inevitable. And I think we'll talk about this yes. further on the show because right. I don't want to talk about it right now. Because I, I hear you. I'm with you. I got a big opinion on that. Very good. Okay. Yes, I know what you're saying, I think, because I'm thinking the same thing. So I'll tell you the other bit of news is also, 80s news, is also Eddie Murphy related, and we could touch more about this a little bit later, but it was that he was reunited at the Toronto International Film Festival just uh, a week or so ago with his, this is 33 years after the film hit theaters, with his co-star from The Golden Child. Did you see this? Yeah, The Golden Child? Yes, the actual Golden Child. Oh, you you, know, you saw the movie. Yes, I've seen the movie. Okay, so the golden... I did not know he reunited with the golden child. So the golden child was actually... Was a, the, the character in the movie is a boy, a little boy. Turns out a female, a, a girl, played the golden child. And she, now 33 years later, is in char- is the director of e, uh, events, executive director of events at the Hollywood Reporter. Huh. And so she was at this uh, international film festival, and she was reunited with Eddie Murphy. She last saw him when she was six years old. Wow. Making the movie. That's pretty cool. And she said, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have the quote in front of me, that he was as nice and kind as she remembers. From what I've heard about him, he is a very nice person. That's what I've seen from my research on Eddie Murphy, that most people will say he's a very nice person. And I've got, we've got, you know, again, this is like a lot of teasers. I've got a couple of stories from a new book that just came out about some of our favorite uh, uh, 80s comedians that may suggest otherwise. 
But um, that was 80s news. Dun, 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 dun. Thank you. You still haven't done an outro. Because I, I like that. I like when you just make it uh, on the fly. It's better, uh, I think. You know, um, you are good at hip-hop oh, shit, so. <laughs> there you, you go yeah. with the dirty words. I slip them in when Speaking I can. Speaking of Eddie Murphy. You uh, you could totally do like a hip-hop outro for the yeah. 80s news. Okay. And then that would be so cool. Well, you know, you just made a sound. And you went, da-da-da-da, and I said, I'm going to use that. And you went, nah. I think it's just going to be that. That was 80s news. Nah. I think I'm going to isolate that. Can you put the wiki yeah, wiki? Yeah, I'll we'll scratch over it like Thank on you. our other hip-hop version. Yes. So today we're talking about Eddie's Eddie Murphy. You know, who, if you're listening to this show, you know who Eddie Murphy is. Not unlike my nine-year-old daughter who earlier today was saying, who is that? And I said, it's, he's the, he does Donkey and he does uh, the voice of the dragon in Mulan. That's what you came up with first? What? Donkey? Well, that was again, what you, that's she, what you said That's first. actually not the first thing I said. All right. She's nine. So the first thing I said to her was, he's the star of the Haunted Mansion movie you've been wanting to watch, which only recently we said she's old enough to see. Then I went on to Donkey End. Okay. uh, Well, I would have thought you went with Eddie Murphy. (laughs) (laughs) You think my nine-year-old? I might as well just quoted Raw or Delirious to her. (laughs) She wouldn't know that anymore. You got no ice cream. You should have went to that stuff. Well, at least you say now that's like, Norton! Come on down here. <laughs> oh, wow. Now I realize I'm... You're the bad one on this yeah, show. It's okay. not me. So let's talk about Eddie Murphy. So Let's um, do it. Uh, for folks, and again, since we're talking, since our show is The Idiots and not some other decade, we're going to focus on what he did in the 1980s. He, according to IMDb, he's got at least 16, 60 rather, six zero acting credits to his name, only nine of which were in the 80s. He did some other things mm-hmm. in addition to acting that we'll talk about, but he first came to my attention, and I'm sure all of our everyone listening's attention and yours and when he appeared on saturday night live yep 1980 to 1984 on saturday night live so what do you remember most characters him well, being on buckwheat is big i right. mean but james brown is probably my all-time favorite he's done yes. the hot tub oh, one yeah. it's too hot yeah it's too hot in the hot tub and when he's talking to the band and they're talking you yeah. know they're doing the whole james yes. brown back and forth thing that's amazing and you can't understand um, a word he's saying, and they just yeah. go along with it. Yep. And it, it's uh, the one thing I love about Eddie Murphy, his impressions are spot on. He's so oh. good at impressions. Mm. Because I did, because I knew we were going to do Eddie Murphy this week, I went back and I listened to Delirious again. Okay. And it's extremely funny. <laughs> yes. But if it was released today, oh it would be right. met with just criticism. Right. Right. Well, we want to hold off on that till we get to that chronologically. Yes, we will get to that, but I'm just saying, like, the, but yeah, his impressions yes. are awesome, and a lot of them are done in he that. He does, but, yes. But he also does um, Mr. Robinson. I love that one, too. That's oh, amazing, gosh. which for those who don't know, Will, what is Mr. Robinson? It's a parody of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, only it's a gentleman who lives, you know, I suppose in the, in the city, um, and the, the thing that's most memorable to me is, you know, uh, in addition to, sp- he speaks like a very Mr. Rogers character the whole time, <laughs> yes. but what he talks about is unlike Mr. Rogers, including when his landlord shows up to like collect the rent <laughs> at the end of every episode and he's like, time to go kids. And he, he sleek, slip it, he uh, slips out the window. Yeah. That's uh, I mean. Yeah. That he's so good at that stuff. And then you got Gumby. Yes. Which he says, I'm Gumby. Damn it. Yes. That's like, you know, he took a lot of kids stuff and made it silly like that yes he's an old uh cynical gumby but then uh another great one from saturday night live is velvet jones velvet jones i'm trying to remember velvet, velvet jones, jones he it, like um, the school of technology where he teaches women how to be hoes oh boy 
I don't remember this one. You don't one. remember that I'm one? I'm regretting asking you just because uh, you now said hose. It's, it's hilarious. Okay. But it could only happen in the 80s. Yes. I mean, the 90s, you could probably get away with it. But in the 80s, this was hilarious. I don't remember that. You say Velvet Jones and I automatically appear. appear. He's, a, he's a pimp. Okay. <laughs> I mean, but it's him doing the voices and wearing the, the wig and yeah. the whole outfits and stuff. And it's really good. But he also did Michael Jackson, too. I don't remember him doing Michael Jackson either. Yeah, he can sing like Michael Jackson all day long. Hmm. I mean, I've, sure, I've heard it in his stand-up when he tells stories about Michael Jackson. He yes. does that impersonation. But there's the, the greatest thing about Saturday Night Live, if you yep. recall, they were supposed to have Nick Nolte on. Yes. And Nick Nolte, they said he was ill, but I've seen other things where they said he was just drunk off his ass and couldn't show up. Right. So this is the infamous December 11th, 1982, when they decide to have Eddie Murphy host. Right. As a cast member. But, and, and why is Nick Nolte hosting, do you remember? Because of 48 Hours. Right. Just wanted to make sure. So Eddie Murphy comes out and says, you know, you guys wanted a 48 Hours guy. I'm going to do this. And he says, live from New York, it's the Eddie Murphy show. <laughs> right. I wonder if that's the, that's probably not the only time someone said anything but live from New York, it's Saturday night. It's probably one of the, one of two or three times. Man, I don't know if anybody else yeah. has had the balls to say something anything other than else. That. Because he actually said in his biography thing, I saw that um, he wasn't sure if he'd made a huge mistake when he said it, mm. because it just happened. It wasn't something he planned right. ahead of time. He just had that. That light bulb go off, sure. and he just did it. He's Eddie Murphy, yeah. Right, he's Eddie Murphy. He's larger than life. So he just did it and said, eh, we'll pay the piper and right. see what happens. And eh, it worked out good for him. And, and to date, he's still the only regular, uh, uh, what, not guest, regular, uh, what do they call that when you're on a show? Cast member? Regular cast member to also host at the same yes. time. Cast members have come and, back, but... And that was at a time when the original cast, which was huge, oh, right. and he was the... Him and Joe Piscopo were the only guys. They, they they hired new guys. Everyone was fired but him and Joe Piscopo. Right. And Norman Lear, or not Norman Lear. Um, Lorne Michaels. Lorne Michaels was gone. For five years, right. For five years. And Eddie Murphy carried that show pretty much on his own for that time before he left. So, yeah. So, so there were some dark days for Saturday Night Live, and Eddie Murphy's credited with uh, bringing the show back to life. Right? Yes. He saved that show and made it carry on because it could have easily got canceled after that original yeah those guys that left yeah they're icons in comedy yeah that's the only two guys i can think of from that era is eddie murphy and joe piscopo i can't name you one other person who was in the replacement cast Hmm. yeah i can name you cast from the 80s but honestly i don't remember where they fall in i could yeah i can name you guys who came after yeah and i can name you the the original guys but that crew they're garbage yeah you know what i get we you know what we should do a saturday night live in the 80s episode because we can dig more into that history it's kind of interesting what happened and there are some interesting cast members that were during that period of time um but you know bringing that episode up i think we probably brings us nicely forward to the to his first film that he he did which you just already mentioned uh 48 hours it was directed by walter hill he he did a number of other films that we like including uh warriors um, another 48 Hours Red Heat, um, mm-hmm, and a, mm-hmm. number, a number of other films. Um, but directed by Walter Hill, it uh, was his first film for Eddie Murphy, came out in, like you said, December of 1982, um, and starred him in Nick Nolte. Yep, great movie, perfect for him. Um, everybody always talks about when he goes out of the bar 
and it's in the uh, the, the he's talking like a oh, cowboy. Yeah. Right, he takes the hat. Right, busts out that back <laughs> bar mirror. Yeah, Nick Nolte lets him borrow the badge. Yeah, to, yeah, just to you know see what he can do. Right. So yeah, if you're gonna do a movie and that's your first one, forty eight hours, that's a good one. It's in, and it's an interesting blend of comedy and like crime drama, I suppose, because you know it's it's yeah. not it's not full out funny. It is funny. Yeah, but it's only funny because it's him. Yeah. If you put somebody else in the role, it's not as funny. It's his delivery and the way he plays the character that makes it awesome, which is why when you go into Trading Places, which is his next movie, he uh, and once again, he's got Dan Aykroyd in that with him. and uh, Right, another Saturday Night Live alum. Yeah, and then um, the two old guys. Um, Don Amici, Don Amici and, hmm, and the other Roger dude. somebody. Boy, boy. Uh, I can never remember so the other guy's, guys name, but yeah. those two are awesome in that too. Yeah, then you get him in that, and he's just the, he's like the same character, but he's not Ralph Bellamy. Ah, Bellamy, yes. So yeah, in that one, he's uh, what is it Valentine? Yeah, yeah, Valentine. Billy Ray Valentine. Billy Ray sure. Valentine. Yeah. So then, but you have uh, he's got a lot of help in that movie. He doesn't have Nick Nolte anymore. Now he's got right. Dan Aykroyd, right? Who when he pulls that fish out of Santa Claus. <laughs> and starts eating it. That's right. awesome. Yeah. So he's got a great cast. So now he's got two great movies under his belt. Right. And that one's obviously, well, you know, solid comedy movie directed by John Landis, who directed a number of 80s films yes. that we love. An interesting thing I thought was, so, you know, the, one of the main, uh, the MacGuffin of are the you, movie oh, is oh, this. Are you going to talk about boobies? No. Oh, but you could. You could. See, but you see, you're making me do it again. <laughs> now, I'm not going to say it. I know what you're thinking, but I'm not going to say I'm it. I'm going to say it then. If you're not going to say it, I'm going to say I'm it. I'm not going to say it. All right. Jamie Lee Curtis, you get to see her boobies in that movie, kids. So go get that movie. There was probably a time in my life where I could tell you the time stamp yeah, probably. to pause the film. Yeah, probably. That was probably one of the rare times I ever used the pause button on our Betamax. <laughs> but um, it did get used a lot at that time. But I was going to say trading places. So, you know, sort of the thing that drives the movie is, is this. Well, a lot of things. But one of the main plot points is the fact that they're doing this um, commodities fraud with orange juice commodities. Yes. I don't know what that means, but I do know <laughs> that what they're relying on is some kind of insider type trading where the, 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 one of the characters steals information about uh, what's going to happen with the orange juice supply so that these investors can make money by shorting it or investing in it. I don't remember which way it goes, but what I didn't learn until researching this episode was that the movie in part actually led to a government regulation to avoid that type of activity to make it illegal. And, you know, inside when they discussed this, it was referred to as the Eddie Murphy rule. See, once again, that's why the 80s are awesome. Yeah. And it actually, the Eddie Murphy rule is part of the larger uh, Dodd-Frank uh, uh, regulation, which honestly, I don't know if it's law anymore and I can't get into it without getting <laughs> political. So we can move on to the next uh, bit of it. So that's 1983. That's, that's June 80, of 83. Yeah, we're in 83. So this is the perfect time to... I, bring up delirious you know what i didn't realize about trading places it's i, I would think of it as a christmas movie right that's oh, of like, course it's, it's a like, christmas like movie. die hard's a christmas movie that's a yeah, christmas, it's a christmas movie. movie but it came out in june of 83 i didn't realize that that seems usually right. christmas movies come out around i don't christmas. think i think die hard came out in the summer too so hmm. yeah that's probably right okay so delirious anyways also, delirious yeah. he does his first well it's not his first stand-up because the first one i think was called eddie murphy but 83 is when delirious comes out and everyone just loses their minds about how funny he is. Yes. Because he comes out in the red leather outfit. Right. Which is because of his love of Elvis. Did you know right. that? I did know okay, that. Yes. Well, so he comes out, and the, the first part of this thing is raunchy as all hell. Yes. 
But then once he gets into the stories about his family and everything else, because like I said, I just watched this thing again. Right. Once you get past that raunchy beginning part and you get into the story about uh, uh, Goonie Goo Goo and his yes. and all that stuff, it's hilarious. Yeah. It's perfect. And not that I, not that I don't like the raunchy stuff, mm-hmm. but if released today, that'd be a huge problem the way he talked back then. Yes. So he gets yeah. into the... The stories, he's an excellent storyteller when he's talking about his family, which is awesome. And that's Aunt Bunny, right? Aunt Bunny, yeah. Aunt Bunny and his... Goonie Goo Goo. I still say to this day, now that's a fire, (laughs) right? No matter, you know, if I'm starting a fire in the house or whatever, you know. Yes, I will will often say, uh, lemonade, (laughs) that cool, refreshing drink. Half the time, I don't even even remember where it's from. Yeah. I just say it out of nowhere, and I'm like, oh, got lemonade. So that's what you say. But yeah, then you got the ice cream jokes. Yeah. This thing is huge. It's still huge today with comedians. Like, I think Chris Rock said he's seen this thing like 8,000 times. Sure. It's like, you go home, watch it. Go home, watch it. So, so you got Delirious, and that kicks off. And, and you're talking about the language in Delirious. I did see that in 1996, Eddie, Eddie Murphy did release a one-page statement apologizing for <laughs> some of the language he used, saying he deeply regrets any pain that he has caused. Um, because, you know, some of the stuff, like you, to your point, some of the stuff he touches on, which as kids, look, I'll be honest, I'm not anti-anybody, but at, and as kids, I, as a kid, I wasn't, but I still found it funny. I thought these well, things were funny at the time. And that's the thing about the 80s, okay? It was a wide open, kind of wild, wild west style of comedy. So and no, there was nothing that was out of bounds. You could say anything you wanted under the context of comedy back then. And people would just go, well, it's, it's comedy. You know, whereas now you can't say some of those things he was saying. I'm not even going to say some of the things. No, yes. No. I'm not going to bring them up because at the time they're funny because it's taken in the context of the 1980s. It's a yeah. different time. Well, like, yeah. Well, can people be offended by it? Oh, yeah. But once again, taken into the context of it's just a joke. Nah. I think we're going to disagree on that. But it's the 1980s. Again, you're right. There were different times. It's a different time. People were not as informed or um, well, enlightened. I just think people were more open to like, oh, he just dropped a, a horrible gay joke. And it was just written off as, well, it's just a joke. He doesn't really think that. It's, mm. it's a joke. I guess it would be interesting to know. I, I don't know. You're right. I was a kid at the time. So I say like, I thought it was funny. Even though I wasn't anti-gay, or I'm not anti Correct. anybody, no. but I wasn't old enough to understand that it would hurt someone else's feelings either, though. So, well, I think we were old enough to know it, but once again, I think it's under the guise of comedy because you can go back to you know Richard Pryor, even all the way back to Red Fox. I mean, those guys were dropping some horrible stuff, and there's racist stuff, and just but if it's comedy. It was okay back then. Whereas right now, you, you can't tell those same jokes. And that's what worried. This is why I bring it up because if he's going to do another stand up, mm-hmm. he's going to really well, need to rethink how he does stand up. Well, maybe, except for like, you know, this, for example, what he said in 96 saying he's sorry for what he said, it suggests that he at least has a different perspective with regard to some of those, uh, you know, what. Uh, well, and that's, that's what I'm saying is if he's not going to come out with that same style of humor, what jokes is he telling? Because I know Dave Chappelle just came out with a dirty ass. Yeah, and he got in. Some he, people and didn't like it. It's 
akin to what Eddie was doing in the past, and a lot of people are bashing him for it. So. Yeah, see, I didn't see the Chappelle thing. I want to watch it. I have not watched Be- it yet. Because I'm curious if... Chappelle, I've watched some of his other things, and he does say stuff that I can I can see why it would offend people, but often what it seems to me is what he's saying is something that... Um, help is making some sort of social commentary you know yeah he's a social commentary comic like eddie murphy's you know uh for example honeymooners <laughs> sketch <laughs> or you know? uh, or mr t mr t i mean yeah. that's just there's there's Straight not up. that's not advancing society culture you're not learning anything it's just oversimplifying in a you know homophobic way you know certain stereotypes yep but it was a joke in the 80s now it's not a joke you tell that same joke now on stage it's not taken as funny. It's not a... Because at the time it was, what if Mr. T was gay? And then you tell the joke. That's basically what he's doing in the 80s. But now you tell that joke, it's taken in a completely different way. Hmm. It's the I, same joke. Yeah. It's just not taken in a modern society the way it would have been. I guess what I'm disagreeing is, say, is saying is that... Um, Maybe we shouldn't have thought it was a joke then either. It was a joke, right? But if you, in other words, maybe we, more of us should have been offended then, but we just didn't know better. So of course we said it was a joke because we thought it was a joke. It was a joke, but maybe we should have said ew then, except we didn't know better. Correct. Well, so that, then like we're said, agreeing in a sense. Yeah, it's the wild west of comedy. We hadn't gone that direction yet, so we really didn't know. Well, yeah. We were stupid yet. I, I guess, <laughs> you know, so in a sense, it's not necessarily the Wild West of comedy. It's like the Wild West of everything, the culture, Correct. society. And yes, pop culture had exploded and people were pushing the boundaries yeah. everywhere in the 80s. So you had that problem with comedy, not just Eddie Murphy. There's a bunch of other ones. Yeah. But you told me I can't talk about all the other ones right now because we're, we're well, yeah, Eddie Murphy. See what were crying. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do something. I got working on but something. There's even, there's a few way worse than Eddie sure. Murphy. Way worse. Well, I guess what I'm thinking is like, like you know, talking to Peter Felicia last week that we learned in the 80s there were certain perspectives that weren't represented on stage, and it sounds shocking almost on stage until the 1980s, where you didn't have you know a gay couple on stage, right? You know, men or women. You didn't have uh, you know plays starring women, you know, written by women about women until the 1980s, and so again in the 1980s maybe our minds were smaller, so therefore these jokes were allowed were perceived more as jokes and allowed and allowed i'm putting loud in quotes because you know anything you could do anything it's what i guess it's how people will respond it says about says something about how what we want to be as a society yeah and i guess it's the delivery also really matters too like if david duke was telling these same jokes <laughs> i don't think they come off quite as well we're doing some of Chappelle's. i'm not Chappelle. chris rock's material yeah i i just it's the person who's delivering it and the delivery that also helps well yeah Again, I guess in that sense, um, well, you know, we're going down a whole different... But when he comes yeah. out with his new special, yeah. we'll see where he goes. Yeah. And, and then we'll know. I guess then a big question is, could Eddie Murphy doing stand-up still be funny? Now, regardless of what he says, because there's some comedians, they just have a knack for telling stories. It, it, you know, they can make anything funny because they have a funny outlook. Yes, and I'll be looking forward to it because I think he actually is going to pull it off in a whole new manner and just make it awesome. So moving on? So, yeah, we got to hit uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, see? now Huge. I, I was curious if you were going to go to Beverly Hills Cop because that came out in December of 84, but yes. you'd have to skip over a movie that came out in July of 84. Yeah, skipped right over it. We can't skip over it. Uh, he only made nine films in the 80s. 
Not that this episode is not running long already because we were debating whether, about sociological and philosoph- yes. philosoph- philosophical issues with comedy. Um, but best defense. Never saw it. You know, I saw it when it came out only because Eddie Murphy was in it. What I didn't know, and for those who don't know, it's, it's a comedy movie. I put that in quotes too because it was terrible. Starring Dudley Moore. What I didn't know about it was, was that it was, a, it was a Dudley Moore movie done, wrapped. Mm-hmm. They showed it to an audience and movies were like, an audience was like, this is terrible. So they created a whole other story starring Eddie Murphy that happens two years later in the context of the film than the Dudley Moore's story. So you're watching two parallel stories separated by two years, uh, like a military contractor developing some new technology, I think something with a tank, and then cut to back and forth Eddie Murphy's character, like the tank commander. Mm -hmm. Um, They only did that to get people to go. Eddie Murphy said, he said this on Saturday Night Live also, it, he, he knew it was the worst movie ever. They gave him the script. He said, this is terrible. Wait, how much are you going to pay me? <laughs> yes. You're right, I'll do it. Yep. So he only did it for the money, and it was terrible. Yeah. So we'll say that for historical purposes, and then we could yes. s- skip right. But, uh, yeah, Beverly Hills Cops is the movie that stopped him from being in Ghostbusters. You know, I just read that, well, according to Ivan Reitman, that's not true. According to Dan Aykroyd, it is. Yeah. I, I just, so if I'm going to put my money on somebody, I put it on Dan. Well, you know what I should say? Well, Ed, actually, I've heard Eddie say it, too. It, well, yes. It, Ernie Hudson says that he asked Ivan Reitman, is this true? And <laughs> Ivan Reitman said no. So I guess, what would he say? Well, what, what, yeah, what would you tell Hudson? <laughs> yes, we wanted Eddie instead of no. you. He's not going to do that. Although Ernie Hudson does say that when he, the original script, Winston Zedmore in Ghostbusters, was a much bigger role. Correct. And then between... And then Bill Murray comes and... Yes, and, and then they sliced it down chop, to chop, nothing. Chop. So he, he auditioned, got the role, showed up, they started filming, and he's like, what happened to my, all my lines? <laughs> so it could have been an Eddie Murphy vehicle until they got Billy, Bill Murray and also got a lesser-known actor in Ernie Hudson. But anyway, so Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, so we get to Beverly Hills Cop, and now he's a huge star. Huge. It's probably the first Jerry Bruckheimer movie I, I'd seen, although at the time I didn't know who Jerry Bruckheimer was, and maybe nobody did. Um, but... He grossed over $230 million at the U.S. box office at the time. That's not mm. adjusted for inflation. Correct. When you adjust it for inflation, it is still today the number three comedy of all, t- or R-rated comedy of all time. Yes. Ghostbusters, I'm sorry, comedy, not, comedy. not R-rated. Ghostbusters is number one. So two 1984 yes. movies are in the top 10 well, As you often of say, time. though, 1984 best decade. is the best year for movies. Oh, sorry. Best year for movies, yes. right. And it's also the number three R-rated movie of all time. So, you know, they talk about Deadpool, you know. Yes. And he also, uh, he also complains a lot that he doesn't get the credit for that. Well, yeah. And speaking of that, I was going to say Deadpool, I don't think even when you adjust inflation, in for inflation is even in the top 10. But as of 2014, Eddie Murphy's films grossed over $3.8 billion in the U.S. and $6.6 billion worldwide. As of 2015, he was the sixth highest grossing actor in the U.S., um, but also interesting about Beverly Hills Cop, let's see if you know this. Do you know who was originally going to be Axel Foley? Uh, that would be Sylvester Stallone. Right. Yes. And so... And that movie would have sucked. Because right. he, he had to go do Cobra. Well, but he only did Cobra because he got fired from Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> he, in, in Sylvester Stallone fashion, he changed the character entirely. He yeah. said, I'm not a comedian, so let's, not, let's get rid of all the jokes. Let's, I'm Italian. Let's make the character named Axel Colbretti. 
(laughs) And he started changing it, and they said, no, this isn't going to work. I think he says he was fired because uh, of uh, something about him, a writer in his contract that was ridiculous, like he wanted bananas in his trailer or something like that. Um, But other folks, producers, talk about how the budget for this movie he wanted to make was too big. It wasn't the small film they were looking to make. Yeah, and I think they wanted to keep that comedy in there, too, because I think they knew that they needed that to make the movie right. what it was, yeah. And so they get rid of him. He goes on to then to use his script that he wrote, his Beverly Hills Cop adaptation. Much of it winds up in Cobra. Yep, which is also Cobra. a very good movie. Yeah. Cobra's a great movie. Yeah. And, you know, some other interesting tidbit about that. So there's a new book that just came out just a couple months ago called Wild and Crazy Guys, and it's got a, a subtitle here. It's like Wild and Crazy Guys, um, colon... How the Comedy Mavericks of the 80s Changed Hollywood Forever. And in that, this author tells a story of how um, Eddie Murphy and Sylvester Stallone, once great friends, had a falling out. And it wasn't because of that. It was actually because Sylvester Stallone thought Eddie Murphy was having an affair with (laughs) Brigitte Nielsen, uh, Brigitte Nielsen, who was Stallone's wife um, at the time. So there was a rumor that they had been more than just castmates. Cause, uh, huh. she, she goes to star in uh, Beverly Hills mm-hmm. cop too. Murphy says, uh, he denied it. I think in the book, they tell a story of Stallone actually calling up Eddie Murphy and saying, did you F my wife? <laughs> you know, did you bang my wife? And him saying no. And apparently their, their friendship never recovered after that. Well, that's horrible. It breaks my heart to know that they're not friends. Yeah, it does. Um, and so I know you want to get to the next movie. Yeah, we're on to Golden Child. But let's pause for a second. Ah, you're kidding me. <laughs> you know what's great about this is you did your research, I did, I did. my research. This yeah. is what I like about how our show works. We yes. just come together and, it, you know, usually we gel a little more than, than we are right now. <laughs> now, but before he gets to Golden Child, which came out in uh, December of 86, he has a song, a hit song. Oh, yes. It comes out oh, in 1985. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up yeah, because I, I forgot the timeline for that. Right. Yes. So that comes out in 1985, and here's a little bit of that. Were you a fan of uh, Party All the Time? I do love that song, and I loved it when it came out. Me too. And I had the 45 of it. I can still picture it's like him with his jacket kind of <laughs> yeah. like open. And at the time, I was, you know, like 14 years old, and I had started DJing uh, around that time. So that was one of the 45s I hadn't had a play, you mm-hmm. know, because it was very popular at the time. And I think I just said it reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100. The number one song at the time, Say You, Say Me. Ugh. Yeah, I know, right? Should I don't see how that could happen. Oh, how that was even in the top 10, I know, but whatever. Okay, mm-hmm. so... So, okay, yes. So now we've hit My Girl Wants to Party all the time. Yeah, produced and written by... Eddie Murphy? Rick James. Rick James? Yeah, he loved Rick James. Uh, you know who I love Talk about Charlie Murphy. Charlie <laughs> Murphy. <laughs> Speaking of Eddie Murphy, I know. Oh, uh, Charlie is thing. awesome. If, yeah, if you haven't seen it, it's a tangent to Eddie Murphy. Look up Charlie Murphy telling a story about Rick James on the Chappelle show. It's one of the best things you'll ever watch in your whole yeah, life. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's so 80s. I mean, it's on yeah. point here for our show because it's just an 80s story. <laughs> So yeah, you get then you got Golden Child. Yes, finally, right. And um, that's a it's a good movie. I liked Golden Child. <clears throat> it's a, a lot. it's a good movie, yeah. and it made a lot of money. Right. And nope. then you get Beverly Hills Cop two. We do. You, you know, just give me eye contact. Remember at the <laughs> beginning, I said we need like a signal. Yeah. 
one thing well, about I, I know we're running long, so I'm, oh, I'm pushing now. Okay. Well, one thing about we're almost at the end, I think, right? We're pretty much out of movies here at this point. Uh, well, we actually have one of the biggest. Oh movies yeah, yeah, in yeah. His career few, coming right? up. Okay, so I'll just say about the Golden Child, which I didn't know until today was it was directed by Michael Ritchie, who directed the Bad News Bears. Ah, also a good and, movie. And Fletch and Fletch Lives. Yes, those are good. So we we jump past Beverly Hills Cop two because we all know the Bridget story. And we know that one also made a shit ton of money. So, Directed by Tony Scott, yes. who just came off of Top Gun. Another, yes. And also produced again by uh, Simpson and Primer. And, and now we probably hit the movie that most people associate with Eddie Murphy. Okay. Now, <laughs> there was a movie in 1987 <laughs> that came out. Uh, is this that gentleman one? N- no, but there is something like that. No, that, that's... Um, that's, not, that's afterwards. Yeah, 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 that's in the 90s, I think. No, Raw. Which, Raw was released in the movie oh, oh, theaters okay. in 1987. Oh, that's right. Yes, Raw comes out. And yes. it's the purple leather this time. Right. Yes. The upset. I, I found an interesting statistic that... Um, it's, it's, I don't think it's... So it, it contains the F word 223 <laughs> times. And at the time, it had set the record for the highest F word count ever in a feature-length theatrical-released film. Surpassing at the time the number one film for that Scarface. Wow! Now, when I looked at this uh, record, mm-hmm. there's tons of films that now have more, yeah. way more f words than that, uh, including um, Goodfellas and oh yeah, dozens, dozens of films after that. But at mm-hmm. the time, yeah, he did a good job with the f bombs. Yeah, he's, I don't. I, he's good at it. What did you like more, Delirious or Raw? I like Delirious better. Yeah, me too. I, I do. Yeah, Raw was Raw's got a few good stories. It's kind of like the first one in a sense, um, but the family stuff I think probably was the strongest again, like the McDonald's burger story. Yeah, I, I like the the family stories he tells yeah. because they're just funny, and it's just the way he tells them. So yeah, I think for me, Delirious is the better one, but Raw is also very funny. Yeah, he does he does tell stories about how celebrities reacted to Raw and Delirious, and I remember including Mr. T, who yes. you know again he has a thing he doesn't uh delirious about that but yeah i'm delirious is definitely um yeah and again raw's another one it's like would it it's so if you if you go back and look at what the material was about <laughs> it just would not fly today no but at the time i'm gonna say we weren't as enlightened you're gonna say we were a lot things were more we were more or, open to new ideas yeah, and concepts of right. comedy okay so. um directed by robert townsend who, you know, another great comedian and director in his own right, another great movie that I love that he directed, Robert Townsend, was I'm Gonna Get You, Sucker. <laughs> That's a great movie. That's yeah, a great movie. So we got to move on, though. Yes. We got to get to Coming to America. All right. This is the movie where he played 87 different characters. Yes. Along with Arsenio Hall, who also played multiple characters. But this is the one he actually, his own movie, he had to audition for, put all the makeup on, and convince them to let him play all the characters. You know, I did not remember that. Yeah. They did not want him to do this because of the cost. Right. So the, what they did was is they put him in the makeup. They made a little, like, oh, yes. little featurette. I, I, th- I think I've seen that, actually. And then they I've showed it that. to them, and then they dressed him up in the Jewish guy from the barbershop right, and introduced uh, him right, to... Uh, uh, Saul, I think his name is. Yeah, yeah, Saul. They introduced him, and the guy's like, this is actually Eddie Murphy. This right. is why we're doing this. Right. So, I mean, there's, that movie has so many iconic lines in it and characters that... It's probably my favorite Eddie Murphy movie. Yeah. I mean, I love them all, but as far as it goes, man, there are some funny, like we say at work all the time. What is that? Is that velvet? I mean, we say what that all that the velvet? time. Yes. And then eventually he would go on to do the clumps, kind of the same thing, but. Yeah. And um, so a couple things that I know about Coming to America. Well, one, first of all, we're getting a sequel 
coming in <laughs> 2020. You got Eddie Murphy back. You've got James Earl Jones is coming back. I'm sure Arsenio is back too then. Yeah, um, I think that's right. I know that... Um, it's not like he's doing anything else right now. Yeah, I don't remember. Other than those two, I'm not sure who else was confirmed. Um, John Landis is not directing it. John Landis directed uh, Trading Places and Coming to America, and I think he directed another film of his in the 90s. Oh, he directed Beverly Hills Cup 3. Another thing, great thing about Coming to America, we have that Easter egg. One of the first Easter eggs I can remember ever seeing is we have the reappearance of Don Amici and Ralph Bellamy's oh, characters that's, that's right. from yeah. Trading Places. Yeah, and that's amazing. But there's just that movie's got so many cool lines in it and so many cool characters. I mean, even the soul glow and all, all that stuff yep. is just awesome. Yeah, and that, and that again, you're going to say, this is dark, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> In that book that I referenced earlier, Wild and, and, Wild and Crazy Guys, uh, how, the, how the comedy mavericks of the 80s changed Hollywood forever, he, he does mention another Eddie Murphy story where we're making uh, Coming to America, where um, the, the story, at least according to the book, is he, Eddie Murphy had heard uh, John Landis. Apparently, they were a little bit, there was tension already. Uh, on set, and then um, Eddie Murphy was, you know, sort of asserting himself as, as the star that he was, and um, John Landis was having problems with Eddie Murphy, including the fact that he walked around with an entourage at this point in his <laughs> career. And when Eddie Murphy had heard that John Landis was talking with about Eddie Murphy behind Eddie Murphy's back, with John Landis and his wife were talking about him, and so he actually walked up, according to the book, and he walks up behind John Landis, grabs him around the throat, <laughs> and says to his in the book it says his hulking friend fruity what happens to what what happens when people put my business in the street and fruity replies they get effed up <laughs> so you know again at least according to this book it's 1980s this is what i was saying earlier that you know saying uh, eddie murphy was a really seems like all by all accounts a really nice guy you know i don't know the, well once again i got that from his biography on a <laughs> oh i see so they left out a lot of stuff that's like ivan eddie. reitman talking to ernie hudson yeah what do you what do you expect yeah, so so we we push on. Yes. Okay, we got to go to Harlem Nights. It's the last to. movie of the 80s. Yes. And I expected this thing to be absolutely knock it out of the park. And why? Because it's got him, right? Red Fox, right? And Richard Pryor. And you can't lose. I mean, how can this not be a awesome movie? I guess you said it in the 1930s. <laughs> You make so, it about um, gangsters. Uh, gangsters. So I actually watched this thing last night. Oh, okay. I did. I went and sat down and said, you know, this is the last one of the 80s. Yeah. And I don't have favorable memories of this thing, yeah. so I'm going to watch again. And of the three of them, Red Fox is the only one who knocks it out of the park mm. in that movie. Red Fox is amazing. Yep. The other two, half-assed performance. Mm. And that's a shitty way to end the 80s. Didn't like it. Yeah. And then... Everything goes south for him as soon as 1990 starts. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> right in the toilet. You know, I'm so glad that we're only here to talk about his 80s movies because there's just so many duds. and There's some good ones in the and 90s. There's, and there's personal things that happen to him but, that are just bad after yeah. that. Uh, one of which is impregnating a Spice Girl. That's I don't, horrible. Oh, I don't remember that. Oh, that, well, yeah, that's um, right. Uh, scary, Mel, scary Spice. Yes. Yeah, Mel B. Mel B. He knocks her up. forgot and, about that. Yeah, see, so once he cleared the 80s, not a good time for him. So there you go. Another reason why the 80s was awesome. It was awesome for Eddie Murphy. It was awesome to be Eddie Murphy in the 80s. Mr. Murphy. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. I think, uh, I think we can wrap this one up then, huh? Yeah. I think I shared all my little... Good. Yeah. I don't have to actually go through all the bad things that happened to him since the 80s because I'm sure you're all aware. 
Yeah, and I, I guess, can we say that, I'm trying to be honest here, I think we could say, for me, honestly, that his best work, his, his the things that I love best that he did, movies or stand-up, were in the 80s. He's, there's movies he did in the 90s and maybe even after that that I, I like, that were for good. But definitely the, be- the things I love the best that he did were in the 80s, right? Yeah, his, uh, his best movies are in the 80s. And I like Bowfinger's good and stuff like that, but they, they're, they're not even close to what he was doing in the 80s. Yeah. Not even close. And his personal life's a train wreck. <laughs> and he, he just looks sad. Right. Just looks sad now when you look at him because he's doing kids' movies. Right. And you know that's not what he wants to do, but they pay the bills. Oh, I forgot about some of those. Yeah, those are bad. And you have kids, so you've... So I know they're you've bad. You've seen them. <laughs> oh, yeah. I say I have kids, so I, I feel badly about kids. No, you've seen the movies with your kids, and you're thinking, oh, they're, they're laughing at this version of Eddie Murphy. Yeah. With Daddy Day. No, I will tell you this. My children have never seen a bad Eddie Murphy movie. Really? My youngest daughter's only seen his animation where he does the voices. Okay. Well, I don't count, I don't count cartoons. My oldest daughter, oh, I, I shouldn't say that. My oldest daughter, when she was young, her first Eddie Murphy exposure was in Haunted Mansion, which is a so-so movie. It's not terrible. It's no, fine. It's all right. But she loves it because she loves Disney and, and that. But when she was old enough, as soon as she was old enough, next movie, Beverly Hills Cop. Yes. Went yeah. straight to that. Yeah, you so. got to get to that one. That's 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 a gateway drug to yeah. Eddie Murphy right there. It, probably the same thing will happen with my youngest daughter. She's never seen Daddy Daycare or whatever those other ones. Yeah, he's got Not the clumps or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. So I think we can wrap this one yes. up with uh, we have proven yes. beyond a shadow of a doubt. T-shirt coming. Eddie Murphy was at his best in the 1980s. It wasn't everything. We all were. <laughs> yeah, as as usual. That wraps it up. Yes. So we'll talk to you again next time on The Idiots. See ya.